box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time, the podcast where we traverse the week that was in football through the games, teams and hot topics that caught our eye. With Rob Gilbert on the bench, it's Willem van Denderen with you and Derek Dyson and Michael Edgley with me. Derek, we'll start uh, with you out in Hillsville. The, uh, the third Ashes test at Headingley was gripping, but it was abbreviated. So I know you will have had time to keep your eye across the football world as well. Please, if you could, kick us off with your game of the week. Yeah, well, I was tempted to nominate England-Australia third Ashes test as my game of the week, but uh, I did go for a football game in the end, controversially, and I've taken my first dip into Major League Soccer for this category, and it was um, Inter-Miami versus Columbus Crew, and you might think, why on earth have you picked that game? Well, on merit, it was actually a pretty good game. Uh, Inter-Miami came back from uh, 1-0 down, 2-1 down at home to... Columbus Crew, it was a dramatic uh, 90th minute uh, overhead kick from Venezuelan Joseph uh, Martinez, who kept their sort of slim but still possible minor playoff hopes arrive. And of course, this is before the great man Lionel uh, Messi um, arrives at the club. So it was a it was a good game, and the the, the winning the equaliser was a, was a fabulous goal. And someone who was uh, watching on from the stands was Tarsa Martino, who is coming in to replace Phil Neville as um, the uh, the manager of Inter Miami, who have been in pretty wretched form. And obviously Messi has been a bit concerned about this wretched form, so he's used his contacts book and, and put in one of his old favourites from Barcelona days as the manager, of course, Busquets, will come and, will come and join him as well. And ironically... Joseph Martinez, who scored that amazing goal, is probably one of the players that into Miami will have to move on because unlike the Saudi league, when we were talking to Kieran Maguire earlier in the week, um, there are some caps on marquee players and uh, they've got to get rid of some to allow Messi and Busquets to join. And that will be uh, Martinez and, and Pizarro. Um, they're being looked at by LA Galaxy, so they'll probably stay in... Um, MLS, but uh, Tata Martino is already uh, having uh, his uh, his say over things already, and he will be hoping, and Messi and Busquets will be hoping that uh, they can start turning around uh, into Miami's fortunes because uh, uh, yes, they've not gone they've not gone great uh, recently. Milos Degenek starting in the uh, the heart of defence during that one edge. Michael, can you believe that in this day and age, the Wokesters haven't claimed uh, the name Columbus Crew like they have with the Washington Redskins? That'd be the equivalent of having a James Cook team in the A-League, wouldn't it? I think it would, actually. It's a good point you make. You've probably given them an idea. They uh, All the listeners uh, might uh, start cancelling the Columbus Crew, wouldn't they? Who have you got for your uh, your game of the week, Edge? My game of the week was the warm-up match, the, the last game for Germany um, bef- uh, before they come to the Women's World Cup. They played Zambia. Zambia obviously have qualified for the Women's World Cup as well, and it was an epic game. Actually, Zambia got two goals up, uh, Bunda and uh, Kudinaj. They scored uh, in the first half to give Zambia a 2 new lead. And in the second half, Schiller and Pop, Alexandra Pop, will remember from the uh, the European Championships. She had such a fabulous tournament for Germany. They got back to 2-2, and then the great striker from Zambia, Bunda, won it in the 102nd minute, 3-2. So it just sort of um, gives us... An, I know warm-up games, I know you can't necessarily take them um, you know, as a form line, 
but is this World Cup, the Women's World Cup, is this the one, can we see someone um, from Africa make a make a dent in uh, what's been a European-dominated World Cup with them? I just thought that was an interesting result, uh, especially because uh, Germany drew level and, and Zambia went on to win it in extra time. So um, for me, it gives me a bit of hope that we're going to see the wonderful atmosphere, colour and culture of African football uh, to the fore in this Women's World Cup. I'd love to see an African team to do well, maybe except Nigeria. It would be nice, Edge, and nice pronunciations in there. I got a little bit personal earlier in the week and I feel bad. So well done in getting those names out there of the uh, the German side. It's a tough group for Zambia, Costa Rica, Japan, a little bit of a uh, Qatar 2022 men's feel about this group and Spain in there. Uh, although Spain, we know that, what was it, uh, maybe three or four months ago, the 15 players put their names forward and said, we will not play under this coach. And I think only three have returned. So they're going to be severely weakened. Japan, we know, always strong. And then Costa Rica, maybe the floater that we don't know too much about, to be honest. So you never know, Zambia could be the, uh, the ones to make a run. Yeah, it's possible, isn't it? And for uh, for Germany, they lost that women's uh, 22 uh, Euros final to Germany. And that was billed at the time as sort of the end of an era. Could it be the, uh, the sort of last cap on uh, that group? So do you know particularly where they're at? I mean, we, we recognize a couple of those names that you just mentioned. Uh, are, they, are they seriously considered to, uh, to threaten for this uh, tournament, considering that they are in a group with Colombia, Germany and debutantes Morocco? They should get out of that. South Korea in there too. Yeah, I think they'll top their group. I think anybody who writes off Germany is a, a silly person because the women's Bundesliga is a good league. It's a strong league. So they've got a good um, uh, base and depth of players to draw upon. And and Pop's still running around, as is Schuller. They both scored in that game. They're two very experienced. And, um, you know, Pop was very dominant in the European Championships in 2022. She couldn't get the job done against the uh, Lionesses in the final, however. Um, she still had a wonderful tournament. I'm expecting Germany to go to top their group and go into the knockout phase of the tournament. My game of the week was the one that I billed uh, as the one to watch, and it delivered. Nagoya Grampus 2 against Yokohama F. Marinos 2 in the J-League. It was first versus second coming in. Uh, Muskets side looking to make it back-to-back J-League titles uh, with Nagoya, with Mitch Langerak and goal looking to add to their sole title in 2010. Uh, it was the home side, Nagoya, who took the lead uh, and almost had a second uh, with a shot from range once Marinos keeper Jun Ichimori had it under uh, under control, though he launched it right through the centre of the park and it uh, brought back memories of the 2010 World Cup round of 16 clash, Derek, between Germany uh, and England. It was uh, it was Manuel Neuer right through the uh, right through the heart of the park uh, to Thomas Muller running on. Uh, on this occasion, it was Elbert who, uh, who got on and put it past Langerak. Uh, Marinos uh, beat Langerak again seven minutes later, so 2-1 at the half. Uh, it was then Danish striper, striker Kasper Juncker who made it 2 all early in the second uh, and Nagoya then had a third in the net that would have uh, closed the gap on the Marinos in second uh, but that was ruled out for a fractional offside so it does remain Yokohama Edge who are first they can though be leapfrogged by Vissel Kobe who uh, who have the game in hand uh, and the uh, the positive goal difference but a, a cracker in the J League and it's all on Optus so as you uh, start to roll into the World Cup and have a look at which matches are going to be on uh, that will uh, will continue throughout the tournament for uh, for those gaps when there are no uh, women's World Cup clashes on Michael if you uh, if you have something to say jump in otherwise I'll uh, I'll throw two no, no, I was just going to say I was at the 2010 uh, World Cup game that you mentioned in Blomfontein when with Germany, Dino yeah with Dino and my father was there as well and um yeah, um, I'll never forget the German fans uh, winding up the English fans. Yeah. And I'll never forget uh, Lampard's 
goal that wasn't. It was about three metres over the line and we were right on the side. So I just, yeah, I was there in Bloemfontein in that, in that game. Derek would have been watching from back home in North London. Uh, I was watching. It wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference to the result, I don't think. The uh, Lampard uh, ghost goal edge because Germany were all over England and England's so-called uh, golden generation of players were being put to the sword by that much more dynamic and, and better organised Germany team. But it is a good segue into my team of the week, which is England, England under 21s. And of course, they've, they've won that uh, uh, European Championship uh, for the first time in 40 years or nearly 40 years. It was a pretty, you know, at times tepid, but also plenty of drama in this game. And the, and the real hero was uh, James Trafford, who I'll, I'll admit I didn't know a great deal about before this game, but he is the, the England under-21 goalkeeper currently on the books at Manchester City, but headed to Burnley in a £15 million deal. And he kept out Abel Ruiz's 99th-minute spot kick to uh, ensure England won 1-0. Uh, England had already um, got into the lead with a deflected uh, free kick. Uh, it was Cole Palmer of Man City that took it, hit Curtis Jones of Liverpool and went into the far corner and England held on in it. But it was this last minute, not just the save, but a double save. He got, got the rebound as well. And, uh, and England, following the, uh, the Lionesses in uh, winning a major tournament uh, a year on, and, it, and it's, it's now only the, the main men's England side that, that you, know, you look at and go, you know they need to they need to get their act together because the rest are doing the business and you have to say that that switched to St George's Park the the state of the art training centre in the middle of the country and having all the uh, teams under one roof that as a model certainly is helping uh, helping uh, England um, so congratulations to Lee Carsley who's the the manager um, erstwhile sort of journeyman. Uh, player in his own right but uh, is doing a great job with them and plenty of hot prospects uh willem uh you could pick out a number of players there but the, the standout for me is is morgan gibbs white he already had a fantastic season at nottingham forest and, and no doubt uh i think they'll struggle to keep him but with the goalkeeper we mentioned a couple from uh, aston villa archer and uh, jacob ramsey and a very young centre-back uh, called Le- Levi Colwell at Chelsea. Uh, there's plenty of promise in this team. So, you know, uh, don't often follow England in international football, but they seem to be a, a great team and well-deserved. Not to put a negative sort of slant on it, but it is always funny looking back on these underage sides. It's it's just, it's such a, a tough game at the professional level to really crack it. And was it the England under-17s who won it under, um, under Phil Neville? What was that, Derek? Maybe four or five years ago. Uh, and yeah. you look back at that starting eleven. Foden has cracked it big time, but from the rest, you know, from the rest of it, hardly any uh, have. I think Tyron Mings was in there, but it, it really is tough to uh, to go forward and really put a uh, a proper professional career, no matter which uh, which no matter which um, level, how much money, how much funding, how organised it is. Ed, you think back and um, you know the Australian sides that have gone to Olympics, the 08 side under Arnie, only a handful went on to be you know proper sort of jobbing A-League player. So it really, uh, it can be hard to uh, to move forward. But uh, generation on generation is important as well to be involved. And uh, yeah, yeah, a good win uh, for the uh, the young Pom boys, which I'm sure will, uh, will make you uh, particularly happy. Take us over to, uh, to River Plate for your team of the week, please. 
Yeah, my time of the week is River Plate. Um, we often get uh, lost in what's happening in South America because their seasons are, are topsy-turvy. We're 24 rounds into the Argentinian Premier League, the top division, and River Plate, they are well and truly marching their way to a title. They're 10 points clear of the second-place uh, Tellerez. Uh, they're 54 points, and uh, they are 22 points ahead of their rivals, Crosstown rivals, Boca Juniors. So River Plate uh, marching their way to another title, Willem. Pretty impressive, uh, that club, and they play in the Big Daddy uh, Stadium uh, in uh, Buenos Aires, which is uh, one of the most epic places I've ever seen a game of football. How excited were you when the uh, the Socceroos were going to the Copa America? I was super excited, and especially when I was over there doing all the preparatory work and choosing the the hotels and uh, you know seeing all the stadiums and working out the logistics. So I, it just would have been an epic. Uh, trip for everybody involved, whether you were a player, a, a player's family, or or a fan, and um, yeah, it's just a sad that it didn't happen. But obviously, it was a casualty of COVID. Um, Argentinian football is 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 quite uh, the spectacle when you see club and international football in Argentina. It's really like nothing else in the world. It's even for me bigger than Brazil. The atmosphere is just uh, some of the best I've ever seen. What is it going to take and why is it that when we, and you know, if you grow up in Australia, if you grow up in Europe, we've, you know, big football is the big five leagues. Is it broadcast? Um, is it broadcast deals? Is it, uh, is it the fact that these, no, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be language because, you know, you might not speak Italian, but you can follow the Syria, et cetera. What is it that holds back the Argentinian or the Brazilian league from becoming uh, a big five, a big five league globally? I think it's the national economies are, are quite depressed. So therefore the value of all of the rights are, are low and all of their good players therefore leave home to play in La Liga in Spain or or the continent in Europe and Premier League in England. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a relative thing, you know, and uh, the, the economies are not good in Brazil and Argentina. And as a result of that, uh, the value of the rights and the annual payments to the players means that, the, the very best of those players go overseas. Derek, why don't you roll us through to uh, your hot topic, which uh, last at, at my last check would have been the bottom of League Two, but slowly rising up the ranks of the English football pyramid. Yeah, well, Forest Green Rovers are a really interesting team. Anyway, they're, they're um, the first carbon neutral football club in the world. They uh, serve vegan food at the uh, at the Crown. Um, Hector Bierin, the uh, former Arsenal uh, right back uh, is one of the major shareholders in Forest Green Rovers, so it's always been known as a um, a, pro- a progressive club. Um, you get a vegan uh, bovril. You, you can, like you, lit- you literally can. Like it's it's um, quite the experience and quite the alternative uh, footballing experience going there. But um, <clears throat> they did rise up the table, but they did get relegated. At the end of last season, they had big Duncan Ferguson in charge at the club. I don't know how many vegan bubbles big Dunk would have had in his time there. Um, but their new manager is called Hannah Dingley, and that makes her the first ever female to take charge of a men's side in England's top four divisions. Now, she is the caretaker manager. Um, there's no reason to say that she can't go on and, and take the full job, but, but just to put it into context, it's, she was the head of academy there, and now she's taking it taking it on as of Tuesday, um, and she's going to be in charge for some 
friendlies as uh, Forest Green try to plot their way out of League Two and back into back into League One. But um, anti-discrimination charity Kick It Out described this as a an appointment that smash smashes the glass ceiling because you know the, you know we we hardly see anything like this in the in the men's game and, and whether she's um, there for a for, for a little while or whether she takes the job on full term it's just going to be fascinating to see how she goes in this uh, in this man's world but she'll certainly get all the support of Forest Green Rovers as I said they're a super progressive club and alternative club alternative business model and um, philosophy and she's really really earned it she's worked at Burton Albion she's worked at Notts County she's also the lecturer as well um, but yeah we will keep an eye on Hannah Dingley and I just think that's a it's a great story for for the women's game and, and women that want to progress in the game edge whether whether it's in men's football or women's football Absolutely. I think that it's only a matter of time before um, some female managers cut their teeth uh, in some serious men's leagues uh, because it obviously happens the other way around and uh, looking forward to when that happens. Uh, my hot topic, Willem, is Melbourne. We might hold it to the end, I reckon, because okay, I can we'll feel a real rant winding up. No, it's not a rant. I'm just going to give you some interesting facts. Before we get there, though, Edge, our vegan food changes each match day weekend based on locally sourced ingredients. You can expect to see anything from our Q pie with corn to vegan pizzas, fajitas, salads, and sweet potato fries. They've been commended at the British Pie Awards, and they picked up menu of the year from Sport and Leisure Catering Magazine. What takes your fancy out of this? Stir-fried mixed peppers, the fan favorite Q pie, Green Devil spicy vegan burger served with brioche bun and loaded sliced gherkin, fresh tomato, relish, guacamole, and lettuce. That sounds good, but what the, the that sounds better than half the, the crap that goes around what's in, the, what's in a Q pie? Well, I think it's the uh, the type of vegan meat they use, which is Q corn, some form of Q corn. I would probably give that a go, see if it that, tastes like a meat pie. But the pies in England are not as good as the pies in Australia. Full stop. Whether they're vegan or not. What sort of pie? Four and twenty. Well, Mrs. Max and Dolph is a bit more upmarket. Yeah, they're a bit more upmarket. But no, the, I don't go for the, the, the pies at the football grounds in uh, in England. I'm more of a Bovril man. I like a steamy uh, Bovril. Well, we've spoken, about, we've spoken about the Carrack tea in place of beer in Qatar. Derek, you're very quickly, you're, uh, you've got $10 at the football. What are you buying? Well, I can tell you now, your $10 wouldn't go very far no, at Arsenal far. <laughs> Football Club. That's for sure. Um, I used to have a chicken curry pie at Arsenal and wash it down with a pint of extremely fizzy um, and not very strong fosters, give myself a massive headache and uh, <laughs> would stumble back up the stairs about five minutes after the kickoff for the sec- second half, not sort of regretting my decision. But yeah, I don't, I don't think you could get a side of ketchup for $10 at the, uh, the Emirates Stadium. What was the chicken curry pie like at, at the Emirates? It was quite nice, actually. Um, I was a bit of a pie aficionado. I actually thought it was good value. I do like a curried pie. I think there's de- it's definitely a good combination of the pastry and the heat and a bit of spice. I think on a cold night watching Champions League or, or some FA Cup replay, you know that that kind of hit that kind of hit the spot before kind of part into the Indian after the game and and, and carried on the curry theme after the, well after well after the match had finished. Jeez, Rob's regretting not being on this episode now. Edgy's screaming into his headphones about his bolty chicken pie on his trip to Wolverhampton for the umpteenth time in the history of this show. That's right. He can do it next week. 
All right, my hot topic. It's a little bit of a cold topic, but it's going to come to the boil. The Australia Cup round of 32 draw has been confirmed. This is one of the best sporting competitions in the country, let alone the uh, the code, without doubt. Uh, it's going to run throughout the Women's World Cup, so it's going to be a bit overshadowed this year, and that's okay. That's completely fine. Uh, but there are going to be four matches on each of the 4th and the 9th of August, so nearly upon us, and then uh, we roll on from there. Last year's finalists, Sydney United 58, are away to Broadmeadow Magic on the opening night. So you want to see year-on-year uh, growth and continuation of momentum edge. Uh, last year's semi-finalists, Oakley Cannons have qualified again. They've got Melbourne City uh, on a Sunday afternoon, August the 13th. And the Burgers are up to Moreton Bay in Queensland. And that, as we know, is going to sting the club coffers because those away trips are expensive. But at least they won't have to fire up the uh, 500 Lux lighting at Olympic Village because that's when the, uh, the price really starts to hurt. It certainly does, but um, you know the burgers have had a bit of a stinker in the Victorian uh, in NPL this year. So I know they've got their eyes on the Australia Cup, and uh, it's a bit of a sticky uh, match that one up at Moreton Bay. They're having a good season. Really getting into the semantics with complaining here, but Macarthur are the holders. They have to go through the A League playoffs, having finished in the bottom four. Yeah, it, I agree, um, but that's what happens when you finish in the bottom four. Rules are rules. All right, what do you got for us? Well, I'm just my hot topic is Melbourne Airport. Um, look, eagle-eared listeners of uh, this fantastic podcast know that I do a little bit of travel with my work. I'm not saying that to show off. I I go to many many airports, and in the last couple of years, the worst airport I've ever been to is Melbourne. Now, Willem, you would note the impact of an airport has when you are flying into a World Cup. Uh, the branding, the cleanliness. Uh, the, the efficiency of uh, getting your bag and getting yourself through and what's going to be a busy time when everybody's landing. Well, my experience at Melbourne Airport uh, just last week from uh, my home away from home in Bangkok, Thailand, was nothing short of disgraceful. The airport was dirty. The airport had no indication of any World Cup branding. Um, the, the bags were late and there were simply not enough uh, border security people for the crowd of uh, people that were looking to get through and into Melbourne, whether you were an Australian or otherwise. So um, please, Victorian government, whoever's responsible for the airport at Melbourne, pull your finger out. Well said. What do you make of that, Derek? Is that uh, is that justified? I think I saw a couple of pictures of Joey Lynch smiling with the air branding at the, uh, the World Cup. I mean, maybe it's gone up a little bit late. We've known we've had this for over a thousand days, but better late than never. Just looking up, the Melbourne Airport is run by Australia Pacific Airports, so it's a private, it's a privately owned airport. So I don't know how much Vic government have got to say. Uh, Edge, they might have to address your letter to less to them. But but yeah, look, I haven't done international travel for such a long time. Um, but yeah, I remember. I think when the cricket was here, there was at least there was there seemed to be a bit of a buzz around the airport. Um, sort of segueing out of that, I still don't feel the buzz. I, I, I was watching the Ashes, and uh, there was some there was some advertising on Nine's coverage uh, for the Women's World Cup, or one of the sponsors was leaning into the Women's World Cup. I can't remember which one it was, um, but I still don't feel like so. Someone who's not in the bubble, I'm just wondering when when it's all going to really just go absolutely gangbusters. But I'm sympathetic with with Edge. Uh, I don't think. Melbourne Airport is the uh, the best one. My next my next experience will be Heathrow Airport when I fly out to the UK in a few months from now, and I can safely say that that will be no better. So, um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, they can uh, get their acts now. 
to your uh, point on the World Cup, hoping edge that it'll be this Friday when the Matildas play in front of a sold-out Marvel. That should get itself on all the major yeah, news think... networks, particularly if they have a win. It's going to be rocking after that for sure. I think um, we'll uh, we'll be well and truly excited after you know the crowd and the atmosphere, and um, and also when all the team all the teams are starting to arrive now, and um, they'll start to have their trainings and. We'll get to see the big media packs, especially from countries like the United States and Japan. And uh, we'll get a bit of news from New Zealand. And obviously, uh, in Sydney, there's so many great nations uh, that are, you know, that are basing themselves there as they are in Melbourne. We'll put a pin in it for there. Uh, thank you once again for your company. We will be in your feeds uh, later in the week. Once again, though, Ed, you and Rob have had a, a lengthy chat with, I think you described her as the, the gatekeeper of Australian women's football history, uh, Heather Reid. So that'll be with you through offside later in the week. Yes, uh, that's a good, fun uh, discussion. Some ups and downs to talk about in Heather's career, but 40 years, bookending the, the, the entire journey of Australian women's football. No one better to talk about it than Heather Reid. And beyond that, we'll be back on Monday with our primary show, and that will be World Cup Week, if you don't mind. But in the meantime, please do subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at box to box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And join us throughout the week through Offside and the main show as our podcasts drop, and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.